welcome to the Save with Sex podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan L., pleasure scholar and creative mother of the Muses Lab. Together, we journey through sex, pleasure, and the erotic as it relates to our relationships, spirit, self, and our overall human experience. I'm elated to be your guide on this adventure. So grab your tools of pleasure, ground, and let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Save with Sex podcast. I am your host, Siobhan L. And I am here to talk about a conversation that I started um, last week in my uh, stories talking about depression. I have been in this, I want to say it was a dark place per se, but there was a cloud over me and I have been trying to function and I had some discoveries during during this time I was able to bring some things together right so what I talked about was well first I prefaced this with saying that my aunt my great aunt passed any of you Follow me on on Instagram. You know I I talked about this. My great aunt passed. This was um, at the onset of this podcast two weeks ago, Monday, right? I'm recording this on a Sunday, two weeks ago from this date. My great aunt passed. And on the same day, that was a Monday, and on the same day, just hours after I learned that my great aunt had passed, my grandfather, who is... Her brother, this is my grandfather's youngest sister that passed. My grandfather was admitted into the hospital. So between that and uh, being overwhelmed at the daylight gig, just trying to find my footing with certain things, uh, working through my own bouts of imposter syndrome, all the things. Life life was lifing. <laughs> life be lifing and life was lifing that week. All of that consumed me and I entered into this dark space because missed amid I should say all of those things happening I still had to show up at the day like getting function right so here's the thing with depression I recall myself saying all the time like oh I'm depressed I'm depressed and oftentimes we can say we are depressed haphazardly, and I know clinicians and licensed ther- licensed therapists, other well wellness practitioners, mental health practitioners, they cringe when they hear people talk about that. But here's the one thing that I learned: I learned that each of us experience depression in our own space, situational, right? There's a difference between being clinically depressed, being diagnosed as having a depressive disorder and then depression that we experience based on circumstances, right? There are probably multiple levels of depression, but here are the four types of depression that I learned about doing my own research. There's clinical depression, depression disorder. There's bipolar depression. There is situational depression, and then there's sad, seasonal affective depression, right? There's also, I'm going to add a fifth one, premenstrual stress 
depressive disorder, right? PMSDD, right? So five different types of depression or depressive uh, levels of depression that as human beings we can experience. Two are specific to mental illness, right? Two are mental illnesses. Depressive, clinic, being clinically diagnosed, clinically depressed, having depressive disorder, and have, being bipolar depressive are mental illnesses. The other three are mental health conditions, right? There's a difference between mental illness and mental health. I'm not a mental health practitioner, so I'm not going to go in detail because I don't want to uh, frame things incorrectly, but I understand doing my own research that there is a difference between mental illness and mental health. We all experience mental health. We have mental health. We want to preserve our mental health. Mental wellness is, is a human thing that we do, right? But mental illness is something separate. Season, situational depression, seasonal affective disorder, depression, and situational depression are mental health challenges and conditions that every human being at least once has experienced, right? The passing of my aunt and the simultaneous hospitalization of my grandfather on top of the stress of work triggered a depressive episode. In this instance, I was in a state of depression for a week and a half, two weeks. I can say two weeks. Another instance where I was in a depressive episode that I recognized something was off was at the beginning of the pandemic. <clears throat> in 2020, right when we went into lockdown, this was March 2020. From March 2020 until possibly the end of April, I was in a state of depression and didn't know until I came out of it. And I've had conversations with licensed therapists and other clinicians, and they affirmed that's typically how you recognize that, oh shit, I've <laughs> been in a depressive state because you don't realize that you have slipped into this whole dark space of depression until it, the time has passed. That is the difference between mental health and mental illness because for those who are diagnosed as depressed, they don't have that moment where they just slip into a depressive episode and then they, 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 they're they able to pull themselves out. They're there lingering in this mental state that they can't seem to pull themselves out of. That's why people have medication for things to help balance, whether it's mood, hormones, or what, whatever the um, hormonal genetic mental makeup that is that triggers these moments, right? Persons who are diagnosed with depression do not have the liberty of those of us who experience depressive episodes of finding ways to pull ourselves out. Some of us may be in depressive episodes longer than most, but if you are able to naturally pull yourself out of it, that is a mental health challenge. It is not a mental illness. I just want to be clear with framing, right? Very important for me to share this part of <clears throat> what I experienced because this may help someone who is not diagnosed 
as being depressed or it may help someone go get a diagnosis if this is continuous or elongated for you. Here's what helped me. What helped me in this instance is that I remember two years ago when I hit a depressive spiral, it just seemed as if I was walking through darkness. Not that particularly a dark cloud was over me because I wasn't looking at anything from a black and white perspective. I wasn't looking at anything in a gray space. The normal technicolor that our eyes tend to see for those of us who who are not visually impaired, whether you, you wear glasses or not, it, if you are not uh, blind or legally blind, you see color, right? You see things. It's not a shadow element. It's not a, it's not your own proverbial darkness or physical darkness, I should say. We see things in color. But in the instance when I hit a depressive episode, it's like there is a dark overlay over my eyes. And I may sense this a little bit more because I'm intuitively inclined, right? Psychic, if you will. I'm intuitively inclined, I'm very entombed, right? So while my physical eyes may see the manifestation of a dark overlay over my eyes, my third eye is experiencing some semblance of darkness. It's, it's hard for me to see forward or intuit things because I'm in a space of just complete darkness. But how I see is this overlay, it's the shadows. Any of you who are content creators, whether you're familiar with Canva, Photoshop, Illustrator, Adobe Spark, <laughs> whatever you utilize, you are familiar with an overlay. We use a square or color, if you will, to overlay a color on a picture to give it an aesthetic. Sometimes we use black to give it contrast to the text that we may be using or for other types of branding aesthetic. Or we use a different color, blue, peach, white. But there is an overlay. That is what I experience when I hit a depressive spiral. It's like I've taken a black square and it's an overlay on my eyes and I've lifted the transparency enough where I can see, but there's still a visible hint of the darkness over my eyes. That is what I realized that I experienced when I, when I hit a depressive episode. I'm functioning and I'm moving, but it's autopilot. I'm not cognizant or aware of what's happening because there's chaos in my headspace. In the midst of the depressive episode that I was in, before my great aunt's funeral, I did a meditative sound bath with my girl Six, aka Sensate Wellness. And I'm usually able to slip into meditation and become one with my mind and and sense and feel and observe everything that's going on and for the first time in my life because my head is my safe space I tend to retreat there often 
works for me most times. A lot of times it doesn't work because I'm always in my head. This was the first time that my headspace wasn't safe. It was nothing but chaos. I could hear a lot. <laughs> there were conversations about things happening, present things happening, past things happening, narratives in my head that I may have created that are that were attributed to some form of a imposter syndrome, my ego. There was just a lot of conversation happening. And even with the sound bowls giving me a sound bath, I could not concentrate. It was actually easier for me to stay present and in reality than be in my head. It was peaceful in the present, in, in my body. But when I retreated, well, outside my body, I should say. But when I retreated inward, it was chaos. I don't know if those who are diagnosed as clinically depressed experience that chaos in their head but that was frightening for me this is how i knew i needed to find a way to pull myself out of the hole because if my head was no longer a safe space if my head was off and if you listen to the on crossing episode i want to say that's episode three you'll know how important it is for your head to be tight You'll know how important it is for your head to be protected. And when your head is chaotic, everything around you is chaos. There's no peace if your head doesn't have any peace. And that was my prompt. I've become a lot more self-aware where I can recognize that is my prompt to figure out what the hell I need to do to pull myself out of this space because I can no longer function. I can't be on autopilot because I'm constantly going to be tired. I'm constantly going to be burnt out. So when I shared my quick note about me and being depressed, I wanted to give an emphasis on that. I wanted to give an emphasis on if you are not diagnosed as being depressed, or even if you are, if this helps you, being aware of what prompts you, what activates you, what triggers the spiral. I was close to my great aunt, right? So you you think great aunt, uh, that's my grandfather's sister. Some people aren't that close with their elders in that way. I come from a very close-knit family on both sides, on my maternal side and on my paternal side. I'm very close to the people in my family. More so my maternal side because I was raised by my mom. So I spent a lot of time with my maternal side of the family. A lot of, we all live near each other, right? I grew up with my aunt. When I was a latchkey kid, that ended when her and my cousin moved on the first floor of the house that my mother and I used to live in. So now there was family in the house, which is normally how it has always been with that particular side of the family. We always either live near each other in the same house or somewhere around the corner. We, were all, we all lived close to one another. So when my aunt and my cousin moved to the first floor of the house that we lived in, I was no longer a latchkey kid. So I would come home, meet my aunt downstairs. By that time, I believe she had retired or she was close to retirement. I would come downstairs, do my homework. My aunt would have snacks ready for me. And she would sit there and she would make sure I did my homework. 
My cousin would come and help me when he got off work. He would come and help me with my homework and check my work to make sure because my mother at the time was still working two jobs. So I would spend the majority of my time with my aunt and my cousin. And the, the moments that stick with me most is how we would sit in the kitchen and watch her little tiny black and white TV with the antenna still on it, with the rabbit ears on it, and watch Jeopardy. Picture was clear as day, crisp, crystal clear picture, but it was black and white. Those things I remember. I remember her constantly talking shit because she was the one that always had the smoke for everybody. She had the banter for everybody. She made sure you knew that you wasn't going to be walking around here thinking that your shit didn't stink. That was my aunt. I remember that. I remember the back and forth venture that she would have of my uncles and my cousins. I remember her. I, I remember her. I have memories of her always telling me about little boys and what I need to do to kind of uh, <laughs> siren, siren them to me. It's just so many different notes about embracing my feminine expression, my feminine wiles, um, being uh, alluring to men if that's what I wanted to do, but being alluring to men and how to sit, sit pretty in my femininity, not to do work. You don't have to lift a finger, let the men come to you. And if they ain't coming to you and if they ain't giving you what you want later for them, the independence of my aunt, I later learned my aunt is an Aquarius. So it made so much more sense. My tea ritual, she was the foundation of that before we would go off to church when I was a church girl and I grew up Baptist. <clears throat> we would have tea and a piece of cake in the morning. And that meant something to me because that let me know that breakfast didn't have to be this elaborate spread. That you could use the resources that you had to make sure that you were sustained. Because if you know anything about a black church in particular, whether it's Baptist, Methodist, Apostolic, Kojic, you know you're going to be there all day, right? And her mother, my great-grandmother, taught her that you never go anyplace hungry. So even if it's a piece of bread and some water, if it's a piece of cake and some tea, you take a, you take a swig of that, you fill your belly so that you could be sustained. Because a hungry woman is an unruly woman. Little nuances like that. So to see my aunt's health deteriorate over time, despite her being in her completely right mind, to see her body deteriorate in the way that it did, to see it shut down, to experience that, knowing the lively, bright, sensual person that she was, a woman who stood in her erotic power, that broke me. And before I could even have a moment to grieve, my grandfather was once again admitted into the hospital. So I never had a space to, to breathe, to grieve. And it triggered that for me. When I had spiraled into depression at the height of the pandemic, at that time I had lost four family members. Two were, two were to COVID and two were to other causes. And because we were in the midst of the pandemic, again, I have a very close-knit family. Because we were in the midst of the pandemic, that means I couldn't attend anybody's funeral. 
I didn't get an opportunity to properly say goodbye. I didn't get an opportunity to be around my family. So between not being able to celebrate the life of those who walked this earth among me, who were family, blood family to me, being in the height of the pandemic and experiencing this virus where you can't even touch people because you could kill someone with a touch. You could kill someone with a kiss. You could kill someone just by standing next to them and having conversation. That was overwhelming for me. And that triggered my spiral into depression. So these situations that occurred that activate things can give off the impression that you may be in a quote unquote low vibrational state. Now, I was very clear in my Instagram story to highlight that that is spiritual gaslighting. Everything and everybody is not low vibrational. And oftentimes people say that to give off this impression that you have to always be in this happy-go-lucky, positive, jolly, unicorns and fairy space. And that is unrealistic to the human experience. You are never going to be positive all the time. Whether you present that on the surface and front facing is a totally different situation, but you are never going to be positive all the time. That is unrealistic. We hit moments of quote unquote low vibration. That isn't a representative of who you are. That is accounting for where you are. I'm going to say that one more time. You being in this low vibrational state does not represent who you are. It accounts for where you are. And that, again, is your prompt to figure out why the fuck am I here? <laughs> what do I need to resolve? And how can I pull myself back into the space where I'm supposed to be? It is why when we are in a quote unquote low vibrational state, we tend to attract things that dwell there. Because there's some people that just like to dwell in whatever depths that is. And if you reach a point where you've hit a spiral, an episode, a moment, you may attract that because that is the frequency that you are on at that time. That is not your everyday frequency. That's just where you are. And because you have people, places, and things that are low dwelling, they sense that. But see, spiritual gaslighters will make you feel like that is who you are all the time. So you deserved all of those things because you didn't know how to wrangle yourself and vibrate higher. That is bullshit. Don't you let these people gaslight you. That is not who you are. It is where you are in this moment. And it is your task when you start to become more aware is to figure out how to pull yourself just slightly above. Don't got to be all the way where you were. Just slightly above that low dwelling space so you can see and you can fucking breathe. 
Because if you don't recognize that you have spiraled into a space where you don't belong, that's how things get you. When you dwell in spaces where you don't belong, that's how the things that don't belong to you find you and attach themselves to you. Protection is very, very important. Protecting your head is very important. Protecting your energy and your aura is very important. And unless you become cognizant of those things, because I understand everybody is not going to resonate with that, right? But if you are a thinking, feeling, sensing person, if you are a highly sensitive person, if you are an empathic person, if you are a psychic person, if you are an intuitive person, whatever it is, whatever you call yourself, if you are that person, guarding and protecting yourself is super important. And I recognize that I spiral into depressive episodes, situations send me down a rabbit hole when my protection isn't where it's supposed to be. And this isn't to say that if you protect yourself, you're never going to be there. That's a lie. You just know how to catch yourself quicker. So instead of if you were on a proverbial tree, sitting on top of a proverbial tree, looking down at the world or looking up at the world or observing the world, Instead of you falling all the way down to the root of the tree and you figuring out how you got to, how you can climb yourself all the way back up to the top to be at your zenith, you might slip down a branch. I hope that's making sense. Instead of you, as you are sitting on top of your tree, your proverbial tree, observing and looking at the world, instead of you, when you hit a low state, depressive state, whatever it is, instead of you dropping down to the root of the tree with the low dwellers and the bottom feeders, you may just be knocked off down to the next branch or maybe even the middle of the tree. The protection keeps you from hitting the root of the tree. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get knocked down. It just prevents you from being where the bottom feeders and the low dwellers are. Unless that's where you wanna be. Unless that's where you thrive, who knows? But if that's not where you want to be, even if you wanna stay at the middle of the tree, it stops you from being so far down at the bottom that it's a challenge for you to pick yourself back up. Protection is necessary. And my goal with sharing my moments of depression, my challenges with depression, situational depression, I should say, is so for anyone else who may not have had a name for what they have been or are experiencing, for someone who knows what they are experiencing and does not have a resolve, for those who have a resolve and do not know how to prevent this from happening, I wanted to share my story to give context, to give suggestions, tips, and to provide insight. Hoping that all of us who are dwelling in our human experience have tools that we can utilize to keep us on track. Because it is a lot of work to get back on track once you hit 
bottom point. And I was lucky enough to have a safe space to share my feelings. I was lucky enough, blessed, if I if I may, to to be able to be comfortable and connected with my with myself where I can speak out loud about the things that I am feeling and not gaslight myself into thinking that I should not feel the way that I feel. I did not invalidate my feelings as I coached myself through this moment because it was my aunt and my grandfather who triggered the depressive episode. Those were my triggers. I had been heading down this path before then. They triggered the spiral so that I can reconcile and work with everything else that had been building up to this point. Sometimes situations that lead us into depression prompt us to resolve and do shadow work that we are not willing to do, ready to do, or are avoiding. And this isn't to say that everyone who's experiencing depressive, a depressive episode needs to do shadow work, right? That's giving you a scenario and where that may be the case. Everything is subjective. Everything lives on a spectrum. We're all not going to experience life the same way. There are many of us who may have commonalities and experiences may resonate. And because we come across people who have experienced similar uh, situations as we have, they may be able to provide us with language. That's what I'm hoping this episode can do, provide context and language. But I also understand that my story and the story of everyone else's just may not be. I can only speak on the experiences and the connections and the context that I was able to surmise based on my own experience. So I do not want anyone who's listening to this to feel like this is singular. It's not. It's beyond plural. It's not objective either. It's definitely subjective. I think that's important for me to know because when we talk about mental health and mental illness, if we don't insert nuance, people will take one situation as, at face value and if it doesn't resonate, spiral themselves even further because no one is speaking on their experience or they conclude that their experience is so rare and so unique that it must all be in their head. That's how you start gaslighting yourself. The key for me to work through being in this depressive space was not to invalidate my feelings, was not to make it seem like this was just all in my head. I felt what I felt. I sensed what I sensed. I saw what I saw. Do not invalidate your feeling. Do not invalidate your experience. Just because it doesn't resonate with everybody doesn't mean it, it didn't happen. 
And I, I also understand that people can create narratives, but unless you connect with someone who you can safely workshop all of you are feeling and experiencing, you'll just be in a silo spinning around with everything that's looming and going on in your head without any form of balance. And if you don't have someone specifically that you can work with, write it out. In the exact space that you're in, if it's just you and your divine court, write it out. As you hear it, write it out. Get it all out, put it on paper, or talk it out, record yourself, or talk it out. But get get it into words. Get something oral or written out. Get all of that brain dump. Get all of that out of your head. Put it to the side. Go do what you do. Go on about your day. And then come back to it, whether it's midday, in the evening, or the next day. Come back to it. And if you still feel the same way, then you know you're not being delusional. And that's something that you need to work through. But if you don't feel the same way, if you're reading this and you're asking yourself, where the hell did I get this from? That's your prompt to figure out the root. And take whatever energy that's in that voice note or that's in that journal and find the root and give it back. Because that means that's not yours. That means somebody put it there. Whether it was over time, whether it was in a conversation, somehow those narratives were placed in your head. And that's this is the time for you to release yourself from that very eight of swords. It's time for you to release yourself from that. So. Before I continue to ramble scramble, I really just hope me sharing my story was helpful to those of you who are listening. Therapyforblackgirls.com, if that resonates with you. I know Megan the Stallion has a website with therapy resources that you can reach out to. Her whole album is about her experiencing anxiety, her new one. So there you go. Um... You can be you can be a bad bitch and still have bad days, as as she says. But there are resources out there for you. You just have to be in a space to go out and discover them. So again, hope something said here is helpful to you. Thank you for tuning in and love you. The Say It With Sex podcast is an audio experience of the Muses Lab and can be found on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to share this episode and subscribe. For early access and exclusive drops, become a member of the Muses Garden found at www.patreon.com slash themuseslab. Your contribution helps support more exclusive and curated content, as well as the practitioners who help make the Muses Lab ecosystem possible.